Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from thousands of successful individuals from around the world. I'm your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm privileged to welcome a very, very accomplished individual from the world of academia, Mr. David Lloyd Dusenbury from Budapest, Hungary. David, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Uh, David is a senior fellow at the Danube Institute in Budapest, and he's an author, a philosopher as well. He's an author, and all of you know, I've always been very, very partial to authors. So he's an author of three books, uh, Platonic Legislations, I Judge No One, and The Innocence of Pontius Pilate. Uh, and he's the chair for the Jewish Christian Relations at the University of Antwerp for 22-23. So, David, before we talk about your book, I Judge No One, A Political Life of Jesus, tell me a little bit about your own journey and uh, what got you interested in history and what took you to Budapest? Well, these are, to some extent, these are different questions, but let's see if I can bring them all together uh, nicely. Um, I suppose, you know, all of my academic training is in philosophy, and um, I, I don't have to tell you that it's a bit unusual for some uh, for a philosopher these days to be writing books about Jesus and mm -hmm. Pontius Pilate. Mm -hmm. uh, but really, it's in the course of my philosophical studies that I began to see that uh, the Gospels are really uh, influential texts in the history mm -hmm. of European philosophy and law. Yep. And thus that, of course, Jesus is one of the great figures, not only in, in spiritual life, but in intellectual life. Mm. And it seems to me that a lot of people on different sides of kind of the conversation have forgotten this in recent years. Correct. So before Budapest, I was in Jerusalem at the Center for the Study of Christianity. Mm -hmm. And I suppose something uh, something I did in Jerusalem caught the eye of, of my, uh, my current colleagues in Budapest and, okay. and brought me back to Europe. And as they say, the rest is history, right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. So let's talk about your book, I Judge No One, A Political Life of Jesus. I haven't had a chance to read the book, but I've read several reviews of the book as I was preparing for my conversation with you. So let me start by asking you, please give me a brief overview of the book and what inspired you to write it. So um, I think I was inspired to write it simply by the sort of enduring intrigue I have with the figure of Jesus. So mm -hmm. one of the things um, I find uh, most compelling about him is how elusive he is. And mm -hmm. when you read, of course, it, it, it's, it's rather unusual that the churches have uh, chosen four different texts to tell us about his life, right, mm. and his sayings. Mm. And these texts are very similar, and yet they nevertheless differ in quite mm. significant ways. And I don't have to tell you there's, you know, sure. massive literature built up over centuries kind sure. of exploring these similarities and differences. But um, so like Socrates and like many of the other great uh, thinkers of the past, I think um, the sense that there's always something more in Jesus that uh, that is leading you on is one of the reasons I, I wrote mm -hmm. uh, the book. But I suppose the basic kind of question I'm trying to um, get to grips with is why uh, a figure who seems in many respects to be so uninterested in politics and even sort of resistant to political logic, mm. uh, nevertheless 
ends um, his life on a Roman cross as a as a criminal. So Correct. he's perceived as someone who is not only political but some sort of political threat, even though his his sayings and so much of his life seem to point in a different direction. So this was kind of the mm. the mystery that mm. that um, structures the book. Fascinating, and uh, you know, you talk about the looking at the life of Jesus through a political lens. How do you think the teach the teachings of Jesus can be interpreted through a political lens, given that most people view him as a, a religious figure? Well, I'm afraid um, my answer to this question sounds extremely evasive, mm -hmm. um, but it, it it really is simply um, true to say that um, this question is so difficult that um, it's one of the enduring questions in um, in Christian theology, mm -hmm. and I would say in European philosophy and politics, which is why I, I've written these two books you kindly mentioned, one about kind of the Roman trial of Jesus in European history, and now the life of Jesus, mm -hmm. among other things to remind um, us, and by us I mean anyone who's interested in the history of um, of uh, very, very broadly speaking, mm. uh, the European, the Christian world, um, just that so many philosophers and legal thinkers and political figures mm. um, down the centuries have have tried to clarify this mm. question. What, what does it mean to uh, revere someone who says, um, turn the other cheek, love your enemy, um, who praises a life of poverty, when I, I think we can all agree that, um, you know, governments cannot simply turn the other cheek, at least right. not in, in, in every context. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there's certainly a place for kind of law and punishment, which I try to show this place is recognized in the Gospels. Mm -hmm. um, and so I guess one way to answer the question, but I want to underscore that this is very kind of crude mm -hmm. and simplistic, but one way to answer the question would be to say that many of the sayings of Jesus, which do call us to really, you know, quite difficult uh, uh, forms of of toleration and love mm -hmm. in difficult circumstances. History is, you know, human history is difficult. Right. Uh, it, it's pretty rough stuff. Um, that precisely because his sayings call <clears throat> individuals to these forms of behavior and um, some of these forms of behavior cannot be realized on the level of government, mm -hmm. on the level of politics. Therefore, we begin to see the differentiation between religious ideals and kind of political realities, mm -hmm. which again, this is an ongoing conversation. It never, it never ends, um, and I don't think it should end. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, I think something interesting begins to occur where these two realms are not simply one and the same. What is good for the state is good for the individual and vice mm. versa. Mm. It seems that in the Gospels, we begin to see, at least in, in you know, the, the Mediterranean tradition, a really clear recognition that the deepest desires of the human soul are not necessarily the same as political necessities or, mm. or legal realities. Mm. And very interesting. And... Uh... How did you approach your research for the book? And what are some very interesting, uh, you know, 
discoveries, if I can use that term, that you made about Jesus along the way? Well, I like the fact that you put discoveries in scare quotes because, um, you know, uh, really, truly what I'm trying to do is remind um, people how how interesting the texts are, as I've said, the the, the um, biblical texts, but also mm. the tradition is yeah. and how many different traditions there are about the life of Jesus. Mm. Um, I suppose um, one thing that might interest uh, your listeners is um, is simply the fact I've already referred to, but that from the very beginning, so in the first couple of centuries of, you know, what, you know, the the, the AD era, the, uh, the mm. common era, Mm. Um, both pagans and Christians, and I would argue Jews, um, perceived Jesus as a kind of philosopher. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a very famous text in the Jewish historian Josephus writing around the end of the first century. Mm. And, you know, I, I don't think we need to discuss this text in great depth, but I, I, I yeah. It is an interesting text, but one of the things I point out is that Josephus calls Jesus, first and foremost, a wise man, a sophos mm. in Greek, mm. um, which is, of course, related to the idea of being a philosopher. Correct. And um, and there are many, many other texts I could point to, but I'll I'll, I'll just leave it there that, um, that both pagans, Christians, and Jews all saw him in some ways as a figure who reminded them of Socrates, who was mm. also a wise one who did not claim to be doing politics, but he was mm -hmm. put to death as some sort of troublemaker in mm -hmm. Athens. Mm -hmm. And um, and then, you know, some very, very major modern philosophers whom your listeners might have heard of, like Immanuel Kant mm -hmm. and Friedrich Nietzsche, mm -hmm. um, even though they perceive Jesus very differently from some of the ancient uh, texts I'm talking about mm -hmm. and from each other, Nevertheless, in their philosophies, they're still trying to clarify uh, what Jesus said, what he mm. did, what it means for us. Um, so I think maybe the main kind of discovery or contribution is just that anyone who's interested in the history of thought mm. uh, should really um, ask themselves uh, who Jesus is and what, mm. what his sayings mean. Mm. Very interesting. And I want to come back to the, the, the part about uh, him being looked at as a, or you looking at the political life of Jesus, uh, would you be able to, for my viewers and listeners, tell me one or two uh, instances where you could draw such a conclusion uh, about politics being somehow or the other associated with his work? Associated or disassociated? Or, well, or... you said you mentioned that the Romans uh, saw him as someone who was interfering in politics, which is why I use the word associated. Got you. Yes. So, um, again, I, I, I hate to say that the question is very complicated, which is why, you know, <laughs> I understand. Um, yes. It's sizable. So, well, we're trying to cover a very, very huge subject in 25 minutes. So, exactly. Um, which it's such a pleasure to do. Um, but uh, so it seems definitely that one of the crucial uh, moments in the final week of his uh, his mm -hmm. life um, is that he objects to a form of commerce which was being conducted in the temple in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And he disrupts 
this commerce, mm -hmm. um, which was perceived by the, as I call them um, in the book, the temple elites, they were a, a kind of landed aristocracy in Judea. Um, they're also called the Sadducees. This was perceived uh, not primarily as a kind of prophetic act, which I think is how Jesus and his disciples perceived it, um, but rather as a kind of political incitement to rebellion mm. um, and a challenge to their their authority, mm. which was both which was both political and religious. And this is one of the interesting things I point out. Maybe a kind of discovery. It's not it's not anything new, but it's not something people talk about. And that is that when Jesus was living, um, and this is crucial for his death, Jerusalem was governed by a high priest. Yeah. So the highest office in Judea was that of a priest. Mm. And similarly, the Roman emperor Tiberius was called the Pontifex Maximus, the mm. highest of the pontiffs, the highest priest. Correct. So actually... Rather than being something kind of strange about Judea, this is something mm. that's very common in the world at that point in time. Mm. The, the political structure and the religious structure meet at the top mm. with a um, with a priest. Mm -hmm. And um, it seems that something about Jesus' uh, way of life and sayings sort of disrupts this model. Mm. Uh, very interesting. And uh, the, the, the political message that you have drawn from his life, uh, how has this either been co-opted or misinterpreted throughout uh, history? Well, um, I mean, you know, one sort of only half ironic mm. comment to make would, would be to ask whether it has ever been um, anything but mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> and, and misinterpreted. Um, and, and, and of course, some... Um, to some extent, uh, I think um, the criticism both of so-called Christian polities, but even of the church, mm -hmm. um, is something that is um, always taking place within the church, as well as by those outside it, pointing out you know, corruption, abuse of power, hypocrisy. Um, this is not something that uh, only those outside have undertaken. I mean, I think um, this is one of I, I try to argue in the book that the theme of hypocrisy, the whole question of hypocrisy, do you um, do you exhibit in your own life the ideals you claim mm -hmm. in public? Um, one of the reasons this is such a kind of prominent theme in, um, I would say, kind of European, modern European discourse and consciousness mm -hmm. is actually due to Jesus. This is one of his themes. Mm -hmm. This is one of his great concerns. Um, is that someone who is truly virtuous, truly good, truly loving is only so if they if they are in secret and within mm -hmm. themselves, not just um, kind of in, in the sight of others. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think a very crucial turn, um, this is a long history and it's an unfinished history. Mm -hmm. I think a very crucial turn occurs in the fourth century. And I, I can put this very, very briefly mm -hmm. um, in, in less than a minute, but we could talk much longer about it uh, if you like. But at the beginning of the fourth century, so for 300 years, the Christians were um, quite peaceful. I mean, some of the leading historians have said there are no kind of acts of political violence associated with Christians for 300 years. They were often, not always, but often persecuted. 
-hmm. And um, so it was a kind of movement of martyrs. And then, of course, uh, the great emperor Constantine the Great begins to sort of turn the ship mm -hmm. of state mm -hmm. from a pagan to a Christian polity. But before Constantine does this, um, Christians were advocates of religious freedom, mm. religious liberty. Mm. And um, <clears throat> Constantine upheld this tradition, in fact. So at the beginning of the fourth century, mm. even as he started to Christianize the empire, he did not, he was not really actively involved in persecuting anyone. Mm. At the end of the fourth empire, uh, 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 sorry, forgive me, at the end of the fourth century, right. um, uh, the Roman, the Christian Roman Empire began to sort of uh, persecute so-called heretics. Mm -hmm. They began to be very um, stern, um, severe with their very considerable Jewish minority. Um, and then a couple of centuries later, they began to harass philosophers, in fact. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, uh, people have probably heard something about this kind of complicated um, and very long history. Mm -hmm. So. The point I'm making here, though, at the at the beginning of the fourth century, the church uh, and and state both kind of uphold the idea of religious liberty. At the end of the fourth century, something different is going mm -hmm. on, something I think lamentable. What occurs in the middle of the fourth century? This is the reign, brief but important reign, of a fellow known as Julian the Apostate. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Does that name? No. Anything to you? Well, no. okay. Well, there is a so after Constantine began the Christianization of the empire, one of his nephews became oh. emperor. Okay. Raised raised a Christian. Mm -hmm. Um, very very smart fellow, very clever, very philosophical, mm. and he decided that Christianity was some um, a sort of uh, profound mistake for Rome, mm. and so he tried to re. Uh, restore the pagan empire mm -hmm. and part of his restoration of the pagan empire this was in the the 350s and 360s was um to persecute christians again okay and so it seems I, i'm i'm coming to my conclusion mm -hmm. but it seems that basically after the reign of julian mm -hmm. both the christians in politics and the christians in the church mm -hmm. began to think we have to do things differently now mm -hmm. um, if we're going to hold on to the empire mm -hmm. and this is kind of when the the harder edged uh christian politics begins to emerge mm -hmm. and um well, as I say, this is a very long and, and uh, fascinating. Ongoing. No, that's fascinating. But you know, just to continue with what you just said, uh, is 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 Julian the person who you would say was responsible for the concept of separation of church and state within the context of uh, the life and teachings of Jesus, or was it just a process that started happening in the three from three fifty to four hundred uh, AD or CE? I think actually this is a this is a wonderful question. Um, I think to some extent the clearest formulation I ar I argue this in my book, The Innocence of Pontius Pilate, mm -hmm. is actually due to a, a, a later pope rather than an emperor. I see. Um, so at the end of the fifth century, there was an African pope named mm -hmm. Galatius, mm -hmm. and at this time the um the, the the western roman empire which basically becomes the holy roman empire becomes what we now call europe mm. uh had kind of fallen 
And so the Roman Empire was based in Constantinople, and you have the Eastern Roman Empire, which we call Byzantium, um, which was kind of facing Persia and India and um, much more open to the, the East. Mm. Um, and um, so uh, the, the Pope was in Rome and the Emperor was in Constantinople. Right. And it's at this point that Galatius writes a letter to the Emperor and kind of states very, very clearly that when Jesus appears on earth, something mm -hmm. crucial happens. And that is that the head of the political system becomes distinct from the head of the religious mm. order. And, um, and so one of the things that does happen at the end of the fourth century, um, between 350 and 400, mm -hmm. uh, as, you, as you just pointed out, is that Christian Roman emperors quit calling themselves Pontifex Maximus. They no longer call themselves high priest. Mm. Uh, so I do argue in my book on Pilate that this is really kind of a world historical moment. Um, and um, this is not to say that um, all of the problems dissolve, but, but that there seems to be a recognition both in the religious sphere and in the political sphere that something has changed. Mm. Fascinating. So David, I have time for two more questions. My next question is that, based on all the work that you have done, were there any misconceptions about Jesus or his teachings that you felt were important to address? Yes. So to some extent, um, the, the inspiration for this book is a, a theory which kind of appears in the Enlightenment period. Um, and um, with a, a very interesting German scholar who says, look, the death of Jesus is very simple. Mm -hmm. Jesus was a rebel and um, he was treated as such. Um, so to some extent, this is a, a kind of scholarly, mainly scholarly, but it is filtered into kind of popular discourse. Mm -hmm. um, this is a modern theory of Jesus, which I found um, unconvincing. And um, I, I really wanted to, uh, to try to demonstrate doesn't line up with what we know of his life and, and thinking. Mm, wonderful. And my last question to you, and this is for the many, many, many people who will listen to our conversation. As an author, what do you hope readers will take away from I Judge No One, A Political Life of Jesus? Well, uh, this is uh, this is the hardest question. Absolutely. So it's, it's good that we uh, saved it for last. Mm. I do suppose I do suppose that um, uh, in the end, um, I think that what Jesus brings to history, certainly to European history, mm -hmm. is um, a really quite striking and mm. enduring and challenging uh, call to love. And that uh, that the human heart um, cannot ultimately be satisfied in life uh, without striving to to love. Mm. And um, of course, what his um, what his death demonstrates is that he did not say this out of any sort of naivete yeah. or romanticism, but rather kind of facing the 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 you know savagery of much human history uh, in the face mm. and nevertheless uh, urging us to to uh, to seek higher things fascinating 
And on that note, uh, David, and, uh, you know, I think this has been such a fascinating conversation about Jesus. I've, I have a little understanding of Jesus. I've read a little bit about him, about you and your books, but I've learned so many new things in our conversation, a very short conversation with you today. Uh, thank you for speaking to me about your book. Thank you for speaking to me about different aspects of how uh, the different teachings and the different thoughts and political thoughts of uh, people are being associated or disassociated with Jesus. Thank you also for talking to me about uh, politics, interpretation, and different milestones in a very, very compressed kind of a podcast. Thank you again, and good luck to you. Thank you for listening to The Brand Called You videocast and podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience, and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website, www.tbcy.in, to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.